0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 13. The minute they are a victim
2: in any way, like it wasn't my fault. I have learned over the years at Shark Tank that those people will never succeed. I mean, I'm nice, but I'm not gonna spend any time because I know these people are never gonna never gonna succeed. Victims don't succeed in life. It's as simple as that.
0: Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I am your co host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Back again this week with my lovely co host, Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Carol Scott?
1: Doing so great, honey. Thank you. Guess what, listeners? We have such a super great show today.
0: We do. We have an amazing show today. So I'm going to jump right into it. Today, we have from Shark Tank, Barbara Corcoran, and she's going to walk us through a whole bunch of stuff. She's going to start by telling us her journey into entrepreneurship, how she started a company back in, I guess it was the 70s, and later sold that company for many, many, many tens of millions of dollars and how she did that, and then how she transitioned from that into becoming a shark on Shark Tank. She's going to tell us all about how she almost wasn't a shark on Shark Tank, but she did something she needed to do to make it happen. And then she's going to take us through what entrepreneurs have to do in order to be successful and what she looks for in an entrepreneur when making an investment.
1: Yeah, and make sure you listen through to the whole entire thing because she's not only going to tell you what she looks for, she has seen and worked with so many entrepreneurs along the way. She's also going to be able to tell you the one single thing that she looks for to determine if, as an entrepreneur, you're going to be successful. It really boils down to one thing, so make sure you listen all the way through.
0: Excellent. And for anybody that wants more information on today's show, more information about Barbara Corcoran, don't forget to check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow13. Again, show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow13. Okay. Without any further ado, let's bring on Barbara Corcoran. And let's welcome Barbara Corcoran to the show. Hi, Barbara. How are you doing today? Nice to have you guys we nice to have me. <laughs> it's nice, <laughs> it's to have nice to have you. It's very
1: nice to have you. Completely <laughs> concur. And thank you again for being with us. We're so looking forward to talking with you. We're huge fans, as are many of our listeners, of course. And Jay and I feel like we are uh, at least somewhat up to speed on the Barbara Corcoran backstory and what your early life was like. But... There's also a reasonable possibility some of our listeners might not be just as in tune and we would love to let them hear more about what your early life was like and specifically how that really drove you to be an entrepreneur.
2: Well, I think when I moved out of my household at 18, I think I was already formed as a businesswoman, frankly, because I had an ideal childhood uh, that really taught me everything I was going to need in life, honestly. Uh, I had nine brothers and sisters. We grew up in a two-bedroom flat in New Jersey. Uh, My mother was a powerhouse. She was a phenomenal role model. She worked her ass off her whole life. I don't think I ever saw her sleep until she was dead, actually kind of a weird thought, right? (laughs) Uh, Let me take that back. That sounded weird. I don't think I ever saw my mother sleep. And my dad worked two or three jobs to feed his 10 kids. So we had the huge advantage of having phenomenal role models. I came out of that household with competition in my soul. I had to compete to get my parents' attention. I had to beat out the other kids. I had a sense of humor that got me through the bad times. And I had a job since the time I was 11. So I knew how to work hard. And so I really just did a Uh, imitation of what my mother did in the household when I started building my real estate company.
0: What was that job that you had at 11 years old? Oh, it was a great job. I was a playground supervisor
2: uh, for the morning shift, eight o'clock in the morning till noon. And I had to uh, keep the town kids happy, keep them entertained in the playground. Uh, But what I learned in that uh, is how to do PR. I only had three kids and I knew the town was paying me. And I thought, I got to get a bunch of kids in here. And so I started serving breakfast. And most of the kids in my neighborhood didn't get breakfast. So I got like 40 kids within a week coming for breakfast every morning. And then I realized these kids deserve a little attention. And I pitched a story at 11 to the Bergen Record in New Jersey. And they sent a camera crew down to film the breakfast with Barbara. And I made the front page of the living section. And then everybody in town treated me like I was a celebrity at 11 years old. I thought, wow, this feels good. And I later used the same gimmick again and again to build my brokerage business.
1: That's amazing. So at 11, you are out there recruiting (laughs) and you're out there and you're out there creating your own public relations initiative. That was starting early that's awesome did, Jay you're gonna ask something
0: Yeah did your brothers and sisters have the same entrepreneurial drive was it something that was fostered in the household do you think or is it something that was was more your personality? Um, I think it was forced in the household because you have to learn
2: uh, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to thrive on competition or you just don't make it. So we all competed. We all competed with each other for attention. Uh, also, in my family, my dad worked for somebody his whole life, usually two or three people at the same time, and hated every minute of it. He would quit his day job regularly. And he would quit it because actually he was fired for insubordination. He would tell tell his boss, "We had to shove the job up, you know where, where the sun don't shine." That was his famous line. And so we saw a man who really should have worked for himself his whole life, but couldn't afford to. And as a result, nine out of ten of his kids became entrepreneurs, all successful. No, it wow. was definitely fostered in the household, without a doubt.
0: That's amazing. That's that's fantastic. So let's jump ahead a little bit. You leave the household at eighteen. Eventually, you start a company that I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think can uh, do that. No problem. <laughs> but but a company that kind of puts you on the map, at least as far as the the outside world it, it appears. You started the Corcoran Group, which was your real yes, estate brokerage. Can you talk to us a little bit about what led you into the brokerage business and uh, what your original motivations were? Did, were you starting a company that you could eventually? exit or were you starting a company that you just were looking to to make some income? What what, what was the backstory behind the, the Corcoran Group? All, all
2: well, uh, much too sophisticated for what really happened. All right. I was working as a waitress at the Fort Lee Diner. I was 21 and a customer walked in and one look at him, I knew he was going to, I knew I was going to be losing my virginity within the week, honestly. <laughs> and that was Ramon Simone. And Ramon Simone became my business partner. He offered $1,000. He said, you got a great personality. And so my first business was not the Corcoran Group. It was Corcoran Simone Company with an accent. You know, uh, He said he was from the Basque country. He was dropped in, gorgeous, had olive skin, black hair, shady glasses, just the kind of Guy, a girl at my age wanted.
1: Absolutely.
2: And, uh, he became my 51% partner. Uh, to shortcut that to the Corcoran Group, he announced one night as I was making pasta for his three children, I, ha- I was his mom, their mom, and I was the mom at work, the mom at home. And uh, one night he walked in and I was making that pasta. That steam was coming up my face. I thought, boy, do I look pretty right now? He said, you know, I'm going to marry your secretary. And that was the beginning of the end of the first business. I just couldn't believe it. You know, he said, take your time moving out. I took about a minute, grabbed my toothbrush. I was the hell out of there. And uh, it took me about six months. And then one day I just walked into him and his new wife, Tina, my old secretary. And I said, "Uh, we're ending this business today. We're going to chop it up like a football draft. You pick the first person, I'll pick the second. We had 14 people and I separated my seven people after about four minutes. And I said, guess what? We're moving on Monday. where are we moving? It's a surprise because I didn't know where the hell I was going to be moving. Uh, But that was the beginning of the Corcoran Group. And I named it the group because I knew I was going to need the help of everybody there to make it. We had very little resources, didn't know where I was going, but that actually became uh, the beginning of a huge success on the heels of that rejection. And you know what I have learned working with so many salespeople all these years that uh, that's often the beginning of the best things. Bed turns, you know, and that was the Corcoran Group. So it wasn't a conceptual idea. It wasn't anything but a dream, because for some reason, I had a dream that first day in business that I was going to be the queen of New York real estate. I just, just had that dream. And it was helped by Ramon on that day when I went out of the office when he said, you'll never succeed without me. I knew I was going to be the queen of New York real estate as sure as I knew my middle name was Anne, you know. And uh, that really helped me through the tough times that happen again and again in real estate because it's a cycle market. You go up, you go down, you starve, you make money. Uh, but I always thought of those words and I always thought of my dream and I never varied off those words of that dream for a second. That really got me to the finish line, I have no doubt.
1: Right from the get-go, it sounds like you had an amazing motivator and that kept you moving. And it sounds like you said you had seven of the 14 that you had from the Ramon Simone group. Is that accurate? Yes, of course. We did. Seven. Yep. And they were all on board and ready to go. And you, did you, did you vary in your business at all from the Ramon Simone group? Did you, did you change your whole trajectory or did you keep doing what you were doing and build upon it just to keep the momentum moving?
2: Well, we had a rental company. I quickly switched it to sales because by accident, I had a referral to myself as a salesman because I sold every day as well. Uh, That was a mistake. Uh, Union Carbide sent me an engineer to buy an apartment. We had nothing for sale. We had rentals. That's what we did. We needed the cash, the quick cash of rental income coming in. You You get paid the day you rent it. That's good. In sales, it's a slow process. You have the board approvals. You have three, four months you work with the customer. I couldn't afford that. But suddenly there I had an accidental customer and I sold them within three days. He had three days to buy. And that, I took that cash, that closing right away, like a month later. And I knew it was sent to me by the heavens. And I put that money down on hiring my first salesperson to sell. And that was Norma Hirsch. She was a dynamo. And bam, she had a sale within a month. I took that money and hired another salesperson. And I worked that formula for the rest of my life. And that's how I was able to build a company to 1,000 people. Just spare cash over my overhead. If I could add up to supporting one person for one month, do the ads for them, pay for their phone, I would just, boom, put it down and hire another person. And that's about as sophisticated as my financing ever got. But that's all you really needed. Yeah. You you have the income coming in and could you afford the overhead going out. That was about it. And that was exactly what built the entire business over the 10, uh, ten, twelve years I built it.
0: It's funny, I, I hear that story over and over again. A combination of serendipity, you're you're moving along yeah. in in your business in your life, and something just ca- kind of falls in your lap, combined with your own motivation and um fear. And, and, and yeah, but moving and forward fear, despite fear, that fear. fear I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. there are a lot of people who would say that, that opportunity for, for the sale for, for Union Carbide comes along and nope, that's not my business. Go find somebody else. But you embraced it and you said, let's see what we can do with it. And so it was that combination of the serendipity with your embracing it.
2: Yes, of course. Well, more than embracing it, if you were in the taxi cab with me that day, you wouldn't have thought I was embracing anything. You would have seen a girl bullshitting her way through the day to make sure he didn't get to another broker who actually had sale listings. So that's when I discovered my best pitch that I use for the rest of my life in sales. Today is a day of investigation. I'm going to educate you the entire day. We're going to see every neighborhood in New York. I'm going to tell you what prices are so that you have seen everything before you decide what you want to focus in on. And this young engineer loved it. And I cabbed them all over the city, hoping to God I wouldn't run out of cash, honestly. But I cabbed them all over the city. And you know what I learned, and it's still true in New York? I had no idea what prices were. It wasn't my gig. But I looked at the sideboards as I went down blocks of what the garage rentals in Manhattan were. And whatever the monthly rental was, was the same cost of a one-bedroom apartment, which is still the same, by the way. So I said, in this neighborhood... One bedroom self of 45,000. Next neighborhood, you know, in this neighborhood, one bedroom self is 62,000. Yeah, because it was $62 a month for rental. And you know what? I, it really is a, a reliable barometer as to values in New York City because garage rentals are really real estate spaces, if you think about it. Yep. And so he didn't know what was happening, but by the second day, he was educated. And by the second day, boom, he was on my hook big time, and I had my sale.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just had to stay one step ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: A little bullshit helps out a lot in all business, as you know. That, that's awesome. So at what point did you decide, I'm going to turn the Corking Group into something that I can exit? It's not just going to be a, a stream of cash flow for me. I mean, was there, did, did it, was there at some point that you, did you say this is going to be, I'm going to sell this business at some point? And did you have to change the way you were operating the business when your exit strategy for the business changed from making cash flow year after year to I'm going to exit or did that just yeah. come naturally? Three things happened and they
2: happened in the same month. One was I was doing the Corcoran Report, which put us on the map in publicity over the years, with my partner, Esther Kaplan, one night, and we were seeing how many listings we had compared to our competition. And so we were late in the office one night producing the report and I was doing the body count, so to speak, where you say, how many one bedrooms do they have? How many one bedrooms do we have? It's the only way you can really size up where you were relative to your competition. And we both realized in a split second, we were number one. We had more one bedrooms, two bedrooms, three bedrooms, east side, west side, downtown, uptown, than any other firm in New York. And I realized I really was the queen of New York real estate. So the reality of, my God, we actually hit the goal I had. Also, I just had a baby, Tommy. And I went through seven years in vitro, which was probably the largest struggle of my entire life. And I had just had a baby. And I found drawn and quartered between being a great mom to Tommy and being great mom to my thousand salespeople. And I felt pulled all the time. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a great mom. And we decided that day we would sell the business. It was sold within two months. That's about how much thought went into the whole thing. Uh, I shouldn't though mention one thing for the first time in my life, I had a million dollars in the accounts. I always was like wondering how I was going to meet my bills. Suddenly we had surplus money. I couldn't spend fast enough to open another office or, or hire another dozen salespeople. The money got ahead of us. And I thought, oh, this business actually makes some money. Could you imagine maybe somebody will pay for this? And so somebody did pay the $66 million, thank God. And I had another stroke of luck because I signed the contract on the Friday night before 9-11. Oh,
0: wow. On Monday. No
2: kidding. Yeah. So it was just, you know, serendipity yet again. But I did insist that all those attorneys and accountants stay in that room. They weren't going home to the kids in Westchester. And I'm not usually that way. I'm usually very nice. I'm like, no, they can't get this deal signed up. No, they've been at it all day long. They're not going home until they sign the deal. That's what I directed. And they didn't go home until it was signed. Thank God. Because on Monday, I would have had nothing in my hand. So it all worked out, you know, fine, kind of fine. All so fast, like a roller coaster ride. Right? Boom, bada
0: boom, you know. So, Barbara, was there ever a time because in this industry, in the in the brokerage industry, and you know this as well as I do, a lot of companies don't go that sale exit strategy. They go the franchise route. They go the expanding and and more brokerages under under management. Um, they expand to different states. Was there ever a time that you considered a different exit strategy than just selling out the company and moving on? Uh, not for a
2: second, uh, and maybe it was because I was too simple-minded. One, I'm a control freak, definitely. I like to be in control of how the flowers look in the pots outside, the exact color blue of the logo. I could really like go nutso on detail. So I couldn't imagine relinquishing that amount of control. I had uh, nine offices. That was enough for me. Also, um, I didn't want anybody messing with my name. I was too personal about it. You know, perhaps that would have been in hindsight, a very productive way to go. But I had $66 million, whereas a year before I had like $80 in my account. And like, what difference would, if I sold in 10 years, a lot of people said, oh, if you had held on for another five years, you could be a billionaire. I'm sure that's the truth. I had a machine that was a money maker. I'm sure the guys who bought it are billionaires because of the business, but you want to know something? What else, am I, what else was I going to do if I had more money? It wasn't my God. It never was. I just wanted to see if I could have my dream come true, you know? And then and I was did. busy doing my next dream, which is raising my kid, which was probably a lot more satisfying, believe it or not, to my ears than even building the business.
1: I absolutely believe that. We're, we're parents of two little boys, and I can absolutely believe every second of that statement for sure.
0: Before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, thanks to Funrise, that's no longer the case. Funrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Then visit fundrise.com slash bpbusiness. That's F U N D R I S E dot slash BP business. And you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise dot com slash BP business. Believe it or not, the world isn't built for entrepreneurs and small business owners like us. Sometimes it seems like there's no end to the hurdles we face while starting, maintaining, and growing our businesses. Finding smart tools to make running your business easier is crucial, which is why I'm here to tell you all about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is accounting software specifically designed for small businesses. It organizes and streamlines time-consuming bookkeeping and accounting tasks, allowing you to do things like create and send branded invoices in just 30 seconds, set up credit card payments right on your invoices to get paid twice as fast, and export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with your accountant to tax time a breeze. FreshBooks customers say they save an average of 192 hours a year. Imagine what you could do with that extra time. Right now, we're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. So just go to freshbooks.com BPB, like BiggerPockets Business, and enter BiggerPockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to freshbooks.com BPB and enter BiggerPockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section.
1: So you did achieve your dream. You did become the queen of New York City real estate. You made $66 million in your exit when you had almost nothing a year prior. And you had a son to raise, right? So you did what you set out to do. And there had to be a next step from there. What did you decide to do? Did you do other things while you were raising your son? Did you focus 100% on Tommy? Did you try other things simultaneously? Take us to the next step. I was determined to be
2: a full-time mom. And of course, there's a lot of hours in the day. So I signed up for a pasta course on how to make better pasta sauces. (laughs) And I realized by the end of that two-hour course that I was going to go nuts. (laughs) So I sat down, I wrote a book on how I built the business, crediting my mom throughout because she really deserves the credit. And then I realized I was no good without being a somebody other than myself. And I decided I had to start another business. And I decided to go into the media business as a TV personality. And it was good timing because the world was falling apart in real estate and bad news, as you know, Prince. So I was on the Today Show again and again and again on how to survive the real estate market, how to do, how to find a good deal, how to avoid a bad one, blah, 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 blah. And I did that for a number of years. And then Shark Tank came calling. That's how I got on Shark Tank, just out of the blue. And then uh, I, I got the job. I signed the contract. I was on the way to Hollywood. And then they told me they changed their mind. And then I did exactly what I always do best. I handled the rejection fighting. And I wrote a potent email to Mark Burnett, who owns the biggest studio there, who was going to be my boss, I thought, and told me i had made a mistake and he should invite both girls out to compete for the one lone female seat because they hired another woman. And it was a persuasive short email and he succumbed. And I told him I was flying out on that plane. I would show up and that's exactly what I did. And he let me compete for the seat and we won it. Thank God I won. Other than that, I I wouldn't have been on Shark Tank for the last eleven years. I'm sure I would have done something else. But what a ride that has been!
0: Right did did you ex- did you expect from the beginning that Shark Tank would be the phenomenon, the the pop culture success that it's been?
2: I'd like to say yes, that I'm a genius. No, but I did know it was a damn good show. That's about as much as I knew about it because the camera guys who were filming it, every time we took a break, kept talking about the deals, debating about the deals. And camera guys usually don't do that. They're like almost, they are almost, you almost sometimes wonder if they're even alive or breathing. They just sit there on the camera, but they were fully engaged. And I thought, this is a good, good content. These guys like this shit. And I thought that the show would do well. But, you know, we got calls every second, third month from the network saying it was being canceled because it's hard to get traction. It took us three years before we had any viewership. They were constantly moving our space, moving uh, just it was just tough because we, we just got negative messaging constantly. Sorry, guys, it's over. Sorry, guys, it's over. It never got over. It just got bigger and bigger once we went past that three year mark.
0: Okay, so this is a this is a great segue. A lot of our listeners are budding entrepreneurs. They're entrepreneurs who are looking to grow their businesses, potentially raise money. So I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about how you look at entrepreneurs, how you decide who's going to be successful, who's not going to be successful, who who to invest in, who not to invest in. So uh, can we go down that road?
2: Yeah, so it's a pretty short road you're going down because I do have a formula. And I work it, and it took me about three years, honestly, to develop it working on the show because I wasn't aware that uh, choosing great entrepreneurs was exactly what I had done my whole life in choosing great salespeople. You have a salesman come in with no sales background. You don't know what they're made of. You don't know what they're capable of. You think, oh, they're going to be on a commission basis and that's cool. Well, no, that's not true. They have a $48,000 year overhead that you're paying for if they don't make money. Okay, so the risk in building a brokerage firm is choosing the right people. And I was great at it. I knew how to spot talent. I could smell it through my nostrils a mile away. But when I got on Shark Tank, it was all different businesses. I'm like, what do I know about the computer business? What do I know about hardware? I I don't know anything. So I kind of spent three years faking it, doing the best I could. And then one day it just hit me. This is like choosing salespeople. And that's the magic ingredient on all these entrepreneurs. you got to be able to sell. If you can't sell and persuade people to buy your product, to work for you, to follow your lead, to buy into your idea. It's all sales, 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 sales. If you can't do that and to give you my money, give me your money. That's a sales job. And so once I realized I was hiring salespeople, I just looked for the same traits. I looked in all my superstars that I built at the Corcoran Group. They were the reason I had a successful firm. They were, they were the reason the firm was successful. And so I ask myself, can they sell? Easy to tell on Shark Tank. Anybody at home could tell. Are you persuaded to really like them and want to buy? Some of the entrepreneurs on Shark Tank on Shark Tank night will make fifty thousand dollars in sales. Amazing, but I have entrepreneurs that make four or five million in sales. Why? They know how to sell, and the guy at home's ordering their stuff right away. So they have to sell. And then I spend the rest of the time entirely trying to figure out how good they're going to be when the shit hits the fan. Because inevitably, if you're building a business, that has to be a specialty. You, know, have, you have to get past all the disappointments, all the obstacles, all the stuff that gets in the way. And so I'm trying to size the person up. You know, on the show, we have 45 minutes for an hour and a half to size people up. When you see it at home, you're seeing eight minutes, six minutes. But we have a lot of time to ask some personal questions. What else did you do? How did your parents feel? I try to get into their head. Okay. Maybe not the best TV stuff, but great investment stuff I asked for. And then I buy into the people. I don't really care what the business is. As long as it makes sense, uh, solves a problem, pretty easy litmus test, and somebody's willing to write a check. That's all you need to have a business. All right. That's pretty simple. 95% of the businesses that come on Shark Tank have that, but I'm looking for the salesman, entrepreneur who get past failure. That's it. If I got him, I got a winner and I'm going to make a ton of money. And all of my successful businesses are exactly those people, not the ones that have a business plan, uh, have this, could talk the lingo. I I, don't, I never buy in those fancy people. You always lose your shirt, spend your <laughs> money, burn rate, all that crap. It's like, ah, burn rate? You know that word? I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. Pivot. You're pivoting. We're not <laughs> the last guy's money. You pivot away from a year. We did. Can.
1: <laughs> so, Can't trust uh, that lingo. Cannot trust it.
2: I keep it pretty simple. Yeah, the, lots of lingo out there. Lingo turnoff. I call it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's
0: interesting. You you answered that question about what you look for without ever mentioning a product, without yeah. ever mentioning financials, without ever mentioning a business plan. It's purely about the person or the people and and their ability to sell. And that's that's fascinating. Well, last season on Shark Tank, two clowny
2: guys came onto the set, two brothers called Comfy Brothers. They had two products handmade, a sweatshirt blanket. They had held them up, they had them on, they took them off, they wanted us to wear them. They had a jingo Comfy Brothers, Comfy Brothers. They were, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody made a bid. I said, I'll buy it and you're 30 business bank done. I like the guys. Like, I'll get these guys for sports. What do you think is happening right now? They have $88 million in sales in a year. They're worth a fortune. The worst, the worst business idea I've ever heard. They had no idea how they would make it, what it would cost, what they would sell it, who would buy it. All they had was two homemade little blanky things and a jingle. But these guys, I love them. Something in my gut said, these guys are hot. Now they could have gone over, you know, rode into the sunset, never see them again. Right. But the deal was signed and it's been the most successful business I've ever invested in. Go figure. That has nothing to do with logic. That has to do with those guys right there singing their song and believing it.
1: That's great. That was really all it took. So they are one of your greatest success stories, if not your greatest success story. They are. Simple as that. Do... The vast majority of the entrepreneurs that you invest in kind of after the show, what has happened? do they keep the momentum going or have you seen some of them fade out? is that is that something that is is predictable I guess from the beginning and is how do you how do you deal with that?
2: Well you don't know for sure in the beginning and that's the truth but seven out of ten do not make it three out of ten do and the three that make it usually make it very big and the ones that don't make it sometimes stay in business five or six years they're out of business they just don't want to admit it. You know, it takes a certain courage sure. to quit and say I, I failed. So they keep it going, like languishing on the vine. You know, uh, but I think I missed your real question. You said uh, what was the what was the gut
1: of that the, question? Yeah, once the, you- the gut of the question is: Are you? Is there a way that you are able to predict any of that? You actually did get to that. You said you never quite know. Was there more you wanted to add? Yeah,
2: I want to add one thing. I do know three, four, five months hence easily. No doubt really? in my mind. Okay. Yeah, quickly. When I signed a deal with someone, I, I put the entrepreneur in a beautiful framed picture. They're hanging all over my office. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. And then I'm waiting for this one faded day when something goes wrong. The product came in wrong. It wasn't made right. Uh, the guy never delivered. You took the people's checks. You have no problem. Something goes wrong big time. They're off the high of Shark Tank with easy sales And now we're going to test what the person's made out of. And all I do is I shut my mouth and listen to what they think about it. The minute they are a victim in any way, like it wasn't my fault. I have learned over the years at Shark Tank that those people will never succeed. I could talk to them till the cattle come in, which I've done in year one, two, three, like, come on, get yourself together. Let me tell you your way out of this. You can't. Forget it. They might listen, get souped up. But next week, they're the same old, same old person again the defeated person so the minute I hear even that intonation of blame victimization not like I'll get even that's what I'm waiting for I'll get even I'll show him then I turn their picture upside down so I don't spend any time with them ever again I mean I'm nice but I'm not gonna spend any time because I know these people are never gonna never gonna succeed victims don't succeed in life it's as simple
1: as that you know you've done this and and you've been acting in a completely opposite frame of mind since age, 11, well, probably since before age 11. But with that first job at age 11, you're like, I'm going to take not only complete ownership, but people aren't going to tell me what to do or how to do it. I'm going to go way far above and beyond that and just completely kick ass. So
2: well, I, I like your rendition. I'm not sure I was that good, but I like your rendition. I'll go with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll work with it. Yeah, one one, of, one awesome. of my favorite
0: sayings in this business is take all the blame, give all the credit. And, and- oh, boy. Good manager does that. And I found that people that have that attitude will build the teams of people that will help them succeed. So it's who you want to work for always, right? That's right. So can we take a little step back? So for those people out there that are starting to build a business, they're thinking, uh, I need money. To, to build my business, or they're growing a business and they think is now the right time to to go after investment. What's your advice to them? When is the right time to start looking for money versus keeping all the equity yourself and just kind of bootstrapping?
2: It's not really a question of keeping all the equity yourself or your willingness to share. I find that that's never an issue really with people. I mean, maybe because of my experience on Shark Tank, if you get too greedy as an investor, people kick back and, and don't do the deal. I've learned that. All right, but I'm just a believer that you shouldn't get investment money. Kind of funny coming from me. And that's what I do for a living. I believe that you should bootstrap it as long as you possibly can. And not even so far as keeping the full equity for yourself, but because when you're bootstrapping, you're hocked out on your credit, uh, credit cards. You, you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. You learn how to juggle. Juggling is a talent that you're going to need in building a business. You learn how to juggle with your money. And more importantly, you take $1 and get $10 worth out of it because every penny counts. The minute you get the next guy's $10, it's a totally different thing. That guy, it's his $10. He's used to investing, losing money. Hey, you need more money? You start to get sloppy. Also, what else happens is you start to serve two gods, not just the god of how do I get this damn baby up and running and out of preschool so they could stand on their own two feet. You're not thinking that way. You're thinking, how do I get this and explain why I'm not doing it fast enough? And how do I get more money because I built it too fast? And how do I feel it? It gets complicated. You know, business is not a complicated game. It's simply a game of what do I got and how do I get people to buy it? It's about what it's about. But when you enter the heavyweight, know-it-all guy who wants to give his good advice and blah, 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 it gets complicated. It gets complicated. You're like especially you got a little pizza parlor. And a lot of these people have little pizza parlors that are going to go nationwide, you know? (laughs) You know, I spend a lot of time with my entrepreneurs, a lot of time squeezing their head in, just taking my hands and squeezing them out. Don't get a big head. You're not Napoleon yet. You're just a little guy scrapping to build a little tiny business, you know, and Shark Tank can do that to someone with quick sales. But I'm not a believer in even getting the funding unless you absolutely know you have a runaway horse. He's out of the barn. You can't contain me. He's brought back 50 other mares for company. And you go, how do I get it? what am I going to do? Then you need an investor. Yeah. But a lot of people, most, I would say 95%, everybody moves too fast and welcomes the outsider in, which is like a wolf in a, I guess I'm into animals today, like a wolf in a hen <laughs> house. <laughs> mm-hmm. so more investors ruin my businesses. Big investors come in from the side, Mr. Know-it-alls, and everybody starts listening to them. They're not there in three years and the business is demolished.
0: I, I love that. And uh, to step back to just- your, to make sure it wasn't lost in, in that whole answer, you, you basically said something that I love. Business is about two things, create a great product and sell it. And, yeah, and really, at the it. end of the day, people overcomplicate what business is. Obviously, there are a lot of details there, but at the end of the day, have a great product, be able to sell it. And they go to, what's your burn rate? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah.
1: laughs> and let's pivot out of it. Great. Well, this was all excellent information. I would love to move to the part of our show now that we call four more. So we're going to ask you four questions yeah. and we'd love for you to answer them just rapid fire style. The first thing that comes to your mind, answer it and we'll go through Ooh, them. My so it- I love game. <laughs> oh, good. You're on that. It's a competition. So we're going to ask you the four questions and the more will be where we can find out. I have
2: to qualify one thing, any right or wrong answers? No right or wrong not. answers. Oh, good, good, good. Everything's right. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. I'll ask the first one, Will okay. Jay. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. Okay. Your first question and answer the first thing that comes to your mind. What was the worst job that you ever had and what lessons did you learn from it?
2: Posting temperatures at Holy Name Hospital as a nurse's assistant. I was dyslexic. I never did math well. I reversed the numbers. And every time a patient died in the cancer ward, the night before, when I came back to work, I thought I had killed him. It was just terrible. Oh. I would, I'm sure I didn't, but I thought my, I got out of that job in about a month yeah, you know, without being fired. Refreshing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Go ahead. Jake. I'm going to take the next question. Is there an opportunity that sticks out in your mind where you've said no to something and in the end you determined that was either the best decision you could have made or the worst decision you could have made?
2: I don't know if I'd qualify as best or worst, but I did say no to something two months before I sold the Corcoran Group. A woman came to me who owns uh twelve, thirteen offices in the Hamptons and said, I really want you as my partner. I'm willing to sell this to you. Whatever the amount was thirty thousand dollars or something. She was tired of it, wanted out. And I said, Nah, I'm thinking I'm getting out. I'm I'm in the exit frame of mind, but I really appreciate it. Well, right after I closed the business, the parent company bought that business for uh, I think it was $40 million. Wow. <laughs> I, oh
1: my thought, gosh. I should have said, just a minute. Let <laughs> <in."> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. For people trying to raise money for their ventures, what's the worst advice that you tend to hear?
2: Wait, worst advice to the entrepreneur from an investor? You got it. We got to build this thing big. You get stuck with building it. It's the wrong call, and you're always in trouble. No. Yeah. It's the entrepreneur that decides what they do with the business. I could, you know, it's interesting with my entrepreneurs, I always know when I have a good one the first time I meet with them after the sale closes, because they're listening to what I have to say, what I would do with the business, and then they're ignoring me. I always know I have a loser who's got a big yellow pad writing down everything I say and asking me qualifying questions. And what else? And what else? And what else? They're taking careful notes like that. That entrepreneur is going to be out of business soon. That's that's great entrepreneurs don't listen. They do what they want to do. It's a part of the uh part of the personality
0: trait.
1: Wow, I like that tip a lot. Love great that. entrepreneurs don't listen and instead do what they want to do. That they do what cool they think right is there. right. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's awesome. Last question, Barbara. What's something that you've splurged on that was totally worth it? What do you, what does Barbara Corcoran splurge on? Does it have to be current or in the past? Anytime. The single best
2: money I ever spent was the first year I actually made a profit. I made uh, almost $60,000 at the Corcoran Group. And then we had a recession and I lost so much money. But that year I went out and I bought my mother and father a new car. They never had a new car. I bought my mother a blue Pontiac convertible and my dad a Lincoln Continental, his dream car. And I had my Uncle Richie drive it down to Florida where they were and deliver it with ribbons on. I still think, back at that. And I think it's the single best thing I ever did for my parents. The single best thing I ever spent money on my entire life. Nothing ever measures up against that. And uh, I'm so happy I had that one slice of time to do it. Boom, slipped it in. You know, so nothing, I mean, I can pretty much afford whatever I want, but it's not about affording what you want, the power of that, which is power and saying I want it, I'll take it. It's really the satisfaction you get after you buy it. That's what counts. And nothing even comes close to that. I think I glow on that at night and puts me to bed most nights, that thought again. And that was like, what, 30 years ago. I'm still high on that (laughs) stupid one thing.
1: (laughs) As you should be for very good reason. Okay, that's awesome. So here's the more question. Where can our audience find out more about what you're doing and connect with you?
2: Well, certainly... uh, check out my podcast, Business Unusual. You should check Your listeners should check it out. If they like what you're digging for, uh, they'll like what I dig for as well. We're, in the, we're kissing cousins really in a way.
0: Go on Apple iTunes and search for Barbara Corcoran or Business Unusual and subscribe right now. Okay, good pitch. Thank you. Barbara, thank you so much for this. We really appreciate you being here. The advice you've given is invaluable. Your story is amazing. And just thank you so much.
2: And you know what else? I'm going to copy everything you did today. You're no longer unique in your podcast. <laughs> I'm going to do a knockoff on it first thing tomorrow morning. Uh,
0: it,
2: it, Uh-oh. i getting a blonde definitely wig like that. all the way.
0: Well, they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I, I don't think I could okay, And I'll find I a bald guy somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 Bye. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Thanks
1: Thank so you. much. Have you a great too.
0: day. Wow. That was an awesome show. What did you think, Carol?
1: Loved it. Loved every minute of it, especially love though. How she really broke it down into this simple formula that to be a successful entrepreneur, number one, you got to be able to sell. And number two, you got to be able to face adversity. That is just such a great summary of what makes you successful as an entrepreneur. And I loved it. It's really simplified. Yep.
0: And if you have to add a number three there, I loved her point about as an entrepreneur, don't necessarily listen to what other people tell you. Do what's in your gut and and do what you think's right because more often than not, you're going to know your business better than everybody else.
1: That's right. Just stay true to you.
0: Yeah, I, I really loved her. I love the fact that she was so authentic and so real and and uh, just great stories. Alrighty, Do we have anything else before we end this show? Let's wrap it up. Okay. She is Carol. I am Jay.
1: Now go face your adversity today. Have an awesome day, party people. Thanks, everybody. Bye, see you next time.